Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Happy post-Canadian long weekend. Uh, Yay. <laughs> I'm glad we all remembered it's Tuesday. Yeah, it was a short and yet much needed break for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was a really good uh, long weekend, and the weather's been really fantastic, so we uh, we got outside and uh yeah, yeah me too i got so many bug bites man <laughs> i should have stayed inside and played video games <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i got a little bit of sun but i think everybody was just really happy to be able to be out i, I noticed it a lot um just with everybody running around and still being safe but also enjoying the fact that this is the first long weekend where there isn't snow on the ground or the thought of snow in in just passing memory so it's been really nice yeah i saw a lot of people like out doing like gardens and cutting lawns and you know like all the outside maintenance that canadians haven't been able to do yet <laughs> yes yeah it's really weird when you're like well i better start gardening at the end of may it's like that is the reality yeah. <laughs> here <laughs> we're gonna enjoy it oh for three God, months so true. and that yeah, is what we and get then it's all gonna die <laughs> Hibernate, hibernate. Yes, hibernate. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That was bleak. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a really nice weekend, and uh, I did I did stay inside a little bit, um, but not enough to actually get my hands on any video games necessarily. However, I did for the first time get a chance to play my Horizon Zero Dawn board game. So I don't know if you guys remember, but this was the uh, worst kept secret Christmas present of life because <laughs> uh, my wonderful husband, Matt, purchased Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game, through the Kickstarter and then didn't realize when it was shipping that it was in the most branded boxes ever. Like all the, the the big cardboard box on the outside, like the the normal brown cardboard box had Horizon Zero Dawn logo and names and stuff just splashed all over it and uh so when i answered door with and there was a courier there then sure enough there was this logo branded box and i was like they make a horizon zero dawn board game what <laughs> i didn't know this where did this come from and he was like oh no <laughs> so uh yeah this was my christmas present this past year and uh this is the first chance we actually got to sit down and give it a shot and it was, um, I guess, well, I mean, my expectations of anything with the Horizon name on it is always going to be high, but um, I didn't really know what to expect. And I think that it was a, it was half decent, I will say. Uh, they did as good a job as you could maybe imagine moving the game mechanics, like the video game mechanics into a board game type world but it was really complicated. It was a lot to keep track of. Like video games are video games for a reason because you have a computer to track all the rules. <laughs> so they do all the hard work. Yeah, this was basically like a weekend long campaign. <laughs> and I mean, like we didn't play like all weekend. We played a few hours a night, but um Basically, the idea is that you uh, choose one of four hunters and each hunter belongs to one of the different tribes that you encounter in Zero Dawn. So there was a Banuk hunter, a Karja, an Osram, and a Nora. 
I almost said Zora. <laughs> Wrong video game franchise. <laughs> but uh, so you choose one of the four. Each of the four has their own um, like set of strengths, I guess, and different kind of play styles. But they don't really tell you what that is until you really get into the game because you get basically like a deck of cards, which dictates what actions or what um enhancements you can give to your um to your actions so just like in horizon zero dawn the video game you've got like a melee weapon you have a ranged weapon you've got um like there's a lot of uh dodge rolling and stuff and you're fighting against all of the kind of uh i would say more common um like enemies robot animals that you fight against in zero dawn so like the watchers and the striders and the um i think the bigger ones that we fought were the shell walkers which were like the big um crab things with like the container on their back and then the whole entire thing so you do um it's either four or five i think it was five um like kind of like mini hunts like excursions and you do that to level up your character and get stronger before you go and take on the sawtooth so that's the biggest enemy that you take on in the board game so you don't end up going up against um and i i totally forget all of the names of all of the bigger ones but like the one that like went and dug underground and then like exploded up and stuff you don't fight against any of those or um like the big alligator guys um yeah, it's it's none of those. But the whole kind of premise of the board game is that you are going on these hunts yourself for the Hunter's Lodge. So do you remember those those kind of like side missions and like areas that were um, like all fenced in and then you'd go in and you'd have certain different um, tasks that you'd have to complete within Zero Dawn? Yeah, it was sort of a... Like challenge missions and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, like challenge mode, yeah. So it, those were the Hunter's Lodges in Zero Dawn, and so now they've kind of made a board game out of that, if that makes sense. And so there's, like, one character that gets to be the leader. That person picks the mission that you go on. You go on a certain number of missions, and so you pick, like, one of, I think, three and so it's your kind of like quest is different every time you would choose to play the board game, but your big end monster is always going to be the same. You're always going after the Sawtooth. Now, I believe there are expansions to the board game that would give you different um, like end quests and like new um, like board setups and stuff because it's basically just... Um, they're all tiles, and then those tiles just kind of fit together in different configurations and stuff, and then you spawn the enemies in, in given spots on the tiles. So that part was pretty familiar, I guess, but um, trying to translate everything from the video game, because it did seem like they tried to stay very, 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 very close to the way that the video game played. Like there was even it because it's kind of a, a strategic positioning kind of like card game at its core. It's a game. It's a style of game I've played a 100 times over. But um, trying to fit video game mechanics into a board game doesn't always necessarily translate. And they even took like crafting and tried to to fit it in. So like 
if one of your actions on your turn you said you wanted to craft, then what that actually meant was taking three cards from your discard pile and then shuffling them back into your um, like draw pile. It almost reminded me of uh, Gloomhaven a little bit. And that's like, it's good and bad because I really liked Gloomhaven, but it was like its own thing. I found when I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn is I was like, this is just close enough to the video game to really point out the way, all the ways that it doesn't live up to the video game, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I've not played a lot of video games, uh, sorry, board games based on video games, but I can kind of see how they'd want to balance being faithful to the original sort of product in its adaptation, but also trying to expand a little bit. And but I you could, still need to make a fun board game in the end. That <laughs> would be, theory. that would be for me, that would be the critical thing is like, it has to be fun and being based on one of your favorite properties sometimes isn't enough. Um, you know, we see this a lot with movie adaptations where mm -hmm. if, yes, sure, it's, it's, uh, it's gotta be a mixture of faithful to the original sort of product, but also doing something that makes a good film. And I don't know, like there are a lot of examples out there of video game movies where, okay, yeah, you, you kind of tried to make a, a movie based on something that really doesn't have a story, but you didn't make a good movie. Like maybe I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like maybe like the second Mortal Kombat movie that came out in the '90s was really, 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 really bad. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of examples of, of bad video game movies. But with board games, it's like this isn't like a oh man, you tricked me into buying a ten dollar movie ticket. This is like I bought a hundred dollars worth of plastic and cardboard. What do I do now? Um, but it's not. It doesn't sound like it's that bad. It's just a little on the complex side is they try to capture all the nuances of the design in horizon, which is a complex game, right? It is. It's a really complex game. And I think that they like, I think that this is the mistake maybe that some board games are currently making when they are based on a video game product, which makes me a little bit worried. I'm not going to lie about the Frostpunk board game. I think that potentially that style of game lends itself a little bit more to a board game because though it was still like real-time simulation type stuff, you can turn that into a turn-based pretty quickly, right? And you can still maintain a lot of that, um, a lot of the same mechanics. Whereas like when you have an actual like action, third person, like trapping, shooting, crafting arrows on the fly kind of a game, that becomes really, really hard to change like the base mechanics of how that works, right? How those encounters work. Like you can't just take your little board game character, flip it around a whole bunch of times and say, ha ha, look at me, I'm Aloy. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so. Although. Yeah, although. <laughs> so I think that that's where some of these adaptations go wrong is trying to be too much like the video game that they're based on and replicate those mechanics too much because like I've played some where I mean like so I played the Portal board game. I think I talked about it a few years ago now. Um, and it's called Portal, the uncooperative cake acquisition game. And it was super fun. And it was like taking the essence of what Portal was 
without trying to be a sequence of rooms with a whole bunch of very complicated and difficult mechanics to them, right? Like, there wasn't any of the crazy, like, goop and stuff that you got, the, like, acceleration stuff and the and the moon stuff that let you make portals wherever you want. Like, it didn't get all that complicated into solving these big portal puzzles. It was basically, like, this conveyor, conveyor belt thing, and you were trying to get to your goal, which was your cake, while screwing over your friends and trying to kill the other team and stuff. Like, and you were very much, like sacrificing test subjects which is very glados is very portal and it was super fun because it wasn't trying to be the video game it was trying to take the ideas of the video game and make a fun board game with that theme and i think that that's where it's most successful because i've also played the dark souls video game or <laughs> i've barely played the dark souls video game but i've played the dark souls board game which is Again, another one in the vein of Horizon Zero Dawn, where it very much feels like they are trying to um, like copy the copy the video game onto a board game. And for me, it didn't really work. Or maybe it was super successful because I didn't like it. So <laughs> maybe they did an excellent job. <laughs> yeah. But it was one of those ones. It's like I remember like we would um, we made our first like level one characters and then we had to work our way down this hallway and the combat was super punishing. And then we died and we had to go back to the fire and then all the enemies respawned. And I was just like, oh, my God, that was like two hours of my life. I'll never get back. Which is very true to the Dark Souls experience. They nailed so, it. That's... Maybe they did actually nail it. But was it a fun board game? No, it was not. Um, whereas like another example I would point to other than Portal that did a really good job of it is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Now, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate is almost a, a kind of like carbon copy of another very good board game. And one of my all-time favorites, which is Betrayal at House on the Hill. And... That is basically like you are working your way through a horror movie and the board is different every time. This is that game, but with basically a Dungeons and Dragons, Baldur's Gate, like skin over top of it and theming. And that was super fun because, again, it was built on the basis of a fun board game. So I'll have to see. I'll let you guys know when I actually get the Frostpunk uh, board game, but I'm... Starting to really, as I play more and more of these like video game board game combos, I'm starting to see a very like hard line between ones that try to stay too true to the video game for their own detriment, which I think is what the Horizon Zero Dawn uh, board game does, versus those who try to be their own thing with a with a fun video game spin. And I think those are much more successful. So hopefully I'll get the Frostpunk game soon. Who knows? <laughs> Between like it being a Kickstarter and also COVID, it could come tomorrow or it could come in 2025. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but once it gets here, I'll let you know. It wasn't that Horizon Zero Dawn was terrible, but um, that was always going to be a high bar to live up to, I think. Yeah, I think that's the struggle with essentially pre-ordering um these these board games because obviously kickstarters are designed i know the horizon game wasn't a kickstarter was that just a pre-order like a standard pre-order 
Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Kickstarter because it randomly showed up in like July <laughs> or oh. no, maybe it was maybe it was like August because it was uh, too late for my birthday, but not early or, but way too early for Christmas <laughs> <laughs> and completely unexpectedly. <laughs> OK, well, it's just like all those Kickstarters for these board games are designed to basically look like sell you on the game and really show you this is a this is a great board game. But my struggle with these very premium experiences of board games is that unless you play them ahead of time, it's very hard to understand if they're going to be fun for you uh, or for, mm-hmm. for anyone, really. And I think that's where the board games that I've I've not bought many board games because I don't really have like a good stable of, you know, people to play with them, or play these games with here. But the ones I've always thought, oh, I could see myself buying it would be games that I've tried, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's always been my bar for board games is I have to have played them to even think about adding them to a wish list because they're usually, especially here in Canada, they're usually expensive. They're all 50, $60 plus plus, right? So yeah, I I have to have played it to kind of really get my, get my, you know, uh, brain around purchasing it. But I think that this this game sounds like a like an interesting take on, you know, uh, a very complex video game that involved a lot of different systems that were fun as you're controlling, you know, Aloy. But now that you've removed it from that sort of direct control and you're playing this board game and it's all like dice rolls and cards and stuff, you kind of have to remove your brain that really enjoyed the video game and be like no we're just playing a board game and it just happens to have these characters because Mm -hmm. you're always going to be thinking like man they really nailed that representation of you like dodging into the long grass with a you know a stealth check or whatever it's it's never going to give you that same feel but i think as you said there's a way to give you that that same feeling by designing a good board game that happens to pull from the universe and i think uh betrayal of Baldur's gate was one that i had played it at your place and really enjoyed mm-hmm. and i wonder if uh i wonder if frostpunk will will kind of do better because maybe they're playing you know they'll be able to play closer to like the sim management style of it and i think that's where yeah. that game could have a better foothold where as trying to adapt an action game into a board game that's that's tough and you're never gonna you're never gonna hit that one-to-one you know feel like you would be able to do with like a sim management game i think so i think Mm -hmm. you're safe with the how much was frostpunk that was that was a pretty expensive one wasn't it yeah we don't need to talk about that uh because yeah i think you had to buy it in euros so always do yeah exactly i just kind of shrugged it off and went currency uh but yeah they definitely got me with a lot of the Kickstarter stuff where it's like exclusive to Kickstarter or like this will be the only time you can upgrade to, you know, X, Y, Z kind of things. And yeah, like the sort of things where it's like um, you can get the board game markers and cardboard, say, but then uh, if you back it on the Kickstarter, you can upgrade those to like wood. And, you know, it's the only chance you're going to get to get the wood pieces for the game instead of the crappy cardboard ones, like stuff like that. So um, we don't need to talk about how much I actually spent on that. Um, If nothing else, 
I will be able to put it all together in a very interesting shelf display kind of thing. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> because I, think... I did get like, a, it comes with a lot of pieces that are um, like, well, basically like the, um, it comes with the big tower in the middle and then all of the buildings you can build in the game, it comes with like plastic 3D printed models of all of those. So we have a lot of games like that, and uh, I think either Matt needs to step it up and paint more or teach me, and <laughs> yeah, because I think we've probably, between all of the different board game models that we have in this house right now, we probably have a thousand little minifigs to paint well, <laughs> between all of our different games, so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not allowed to cast judgment on folks who buy uh, pretty-looking plastic that sits on a shelf, so, you know. <laughs> It's, uh, I can't. I can't At say least anything. mine functions as a board game, and yours functions as a add-on to a video game. Sometimes, maybe. Yeah. Well, you saw the Skyward Sword thing that's kind of making, uh, making the rounds, right? The thirty-dollar amiibo that allows you to skip the most annoying part of Skyward Sword. And no, I'm not talking about the tutorials. It's... Wait, I have not seen. Oh, this. okay. You haven't. Okay, so basic. So long story short, they have this thirty-dollar American amiibo that is uh, Zelda in a loft wing. And when you scan it, it allows you to uh, to to return from the from the the ground level to Skyloft uh, instantly. Whereas in the original game, you had to go to a specific save point. I think you had to do it at specific parts. Uh, of the map. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot so of people are. So you can just are... scan the amiibo, and it sends you back up to the top. Yep. Oh, and I bought it for because I wanted the amiibo, <laughs> but like. Oh! to look this up <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where i think people are people are right to point at it and be like this is this is not great but also people are also well this is nintendo so they're like not giving nintendo a hard time but they're just kind of like writing articles about it and being like nintendo you shouldn't really do this but you're not listening and <laughs> I, that's a pretty intense amiibo <laughs> yeah like usually usually it's amiibos big. will give you free items like just really basic stuff um but there has been like talk of like okay when i scan this zelda amiibo does it scan as a, does it recognize it as zelda and and i think for most games it will but in skyward sword like if they tie it tie this functionality specifically to this amiibo it really is just that amiibo that will do this very critical feature although if they design it in the way they've designed other games using amiibo they kind of treat all zelda amiibos as as zelda so if you have another amiibo that you can scan you know nintendo hasn't really been as mm. nefarious of locking stuff behind amiibo they'll sometimes sort of open it up a bit where if, if you have an amiibo from the last six years it'll work but at this stage, it looks like, yeah, you have to have that Loftwing amiibo, which is uh, probably on par with sort of the way the Guardian was priced for Breath of the Wild, uh, mm -hmm. which was a really cool amiibo. But still, now on top of having bought Skyward Sword controllers and a Skyward Sword amiibo, and I haven't even bought the game, <laughs> I think I've spent twice the value of the game on these <laughs> peripherals um, oh, that Ryan. look really cool. Don't get me wrong. They look really cool. So anyways, I don't know if we're going to relive like this year seems to be reliving the first year of Gamers In, whereas we're, we talked about we talked a lot about Mass Effect. We we're going to we're probably going to talk about Skyward Sword in July when it comes out because I'm going to buy it. Like I, I, lo I, I love Zelda. 
Skyward Sword is a is a weird game. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, we we had some discussions uh, in the first six months of this show around some pretty specific games. So it'll be yeah, interesting. it's all coming back around. Does that mean that we're getting old and we've been doing the show too long, Ryan? Is that where we're at now? <laughs> no, it just means that uh, video game companies don't know how to make new things, and they just they decide to remake everything. It's not us; it's them. Oh, uh, okay. Really. It's not us; it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> What? No. So, speaking of, it's it's a meme. Uh, oh, is it? Speaking oh. of, <laughs> it's from The Simpsons. Don't you? The the Skinner's like standing under a tree and he's thinking, like, "Am I so out of touch?" No, it's the children who are wrong. Oh, okay. <gasps> I, you know, um, for me, The Simpsons sort of ends at a little of column A and a little of column B. It's all Grandpa Simpson is are, are the memes I understand. Uh, okay. You know, old man yells at cloud. <laughs> yeah. Classic. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of things we talked about 10 plus years ago, uh, tell me about your experiences right now in Mass Effect Legendary Edition. All right. So Mass Effect Legendary Edition, we did a whole episode last week on it. So I won't. uh, I I mean, we could continue onwards until uh, my hard drive space runs out, but we won't. Uh, All I'll say is that uh, I'm still working my way through Mass Effect 1. I did say on that episode last week that I was going to try to mainline this story and and not do all the side content, but I have uh, fallen into the RPG trap of doing all the side content, (laughs) which, you know, isn't as uh, involved in Mass Effect as I thought it would be, because really it is, with the fast loading, it's not as tedious, because really the tedious part was clicking through all the planets loading into the Mako uh, section, doing the driving around. Clicking through all of the planets is, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I'm glad not they great. improved that system. <laughs> yeah, it works a lot better. Um, and there is, I'm only going to do the side content that sort of has popped up for me. And I don't know if I'm going to, you know, make sure I visit every system. I think I'm just going to do what comes up. But I did uh, just last night kind of said, okay, enough is enough, you know, let's, let's go to, uh, I think it was Vermeer that sort of popped up, which is the second to last mission. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I just, I just finished it before we started recording. So it was the moment the the critical choice, um, that comes up in this game that is, uh, basically choose which one of your squad mates lives and dies. You get a choice between two of them. And, uh, also I didn't kill Rex. So I got to the moment. Yay! Where, yeah, where Rex, you can kill him. And it's really weird about Mass Effect 1. I I played it so long ago that I remember the core sort of beats, but I don't remember the details. So as I'm playing through it, I'm like, this is the moment where Rex gets all angry and then I shoot him. Like, what was I thinking? Like, why did I, why did I take him out? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't remember. And I'm sitting there and I'm playing through it and I'm like, okay, like I must have like really chosen some really bad decisions here to to get to the point where I had to had to shoot him because I managed just fine to talk him down. I mean, it wasn't like a piece of cake, but it was it was fine. You know, I handled it. Right. And I'm just thinking back like maybe I just thought it was it, I didn't think they'd let me do it, but they did. As far as I understand, at least because Garrett was wrestling with this, I think a week ago or so, and he basically said, and I don't know what his like 
relationships were and points were up to that point, you know, um, but he was saying that there's like only one um, like a uh, trail of conversation, I guess, or one sequence of thing. Cause he killed Rex like five times <laughs> and had to keep reloading his save and going back. And there's only like one path you can follow through the conversation that ends in you not killing him. So, I mean, maybe you're just more of a reasonable, empathetic person now <laughs> and Garrett's a jerk. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> maybe. although I do know Garrett was saying that he was playing through mostly with like renegade choices which maybe that kind of leads you down that that path i don't know but um maybe um as as a mostly renegade character there's only one path you can take but anyways keeping him alive is apparently very difficult so maybe you just learned from the mistakes of ryan of you know whatever 20 or 2007 yeah. <laughs> and you didn't make those mistakes this time i don't know but yeah, uh, well, he, he's, he's alive not an easy well. character to to uh, to have live. <laughs> yeah, I, I managed to keep him alive. And uh, I did the opposite of what I did uh, when I originally played and when it came to the choice. Um, I'm being super sort of, you know, spoiler free because I believe you said you Thank hadn't you. played it. And you hadn't I gotten haven't that point. played it through. I have a, a very vague idea of what happens because I did like make the choices when I started Mass Effect 2. Um, but it was very like high level. It was just like this happened and here's the background and you had to make a choice and whatever. And like, so I feel like I'll, um, it'll be different actually playing through it than the like super like picture book, storybook type, uh, high level overview that they gave you at the beginning of Mass Effect 2 when you didn't have a character to import and you just had to kind of make those decisions. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, again, thinking back, I remember it as being more of a, more of a binary choice of like, okay, this is the person I'm leaving behind. And I think that's how it's sort of talked about in the the comic where you choose your your decisions. Uh, you sort mm -hmm. of build your Mass Effect 1 game if you hadn't played it when, when going right into Mass Effect 2. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was more, it's, it's still binary. It's still very clearly like do this or do that. But they kind of give you these these choices where, it feels like, oh, we're going in a direction where I may be able to have my cake and eat it too. But but no, you then have to make a decision that basically has you doubling back if you specifically went in a certain direction. So, I, you know, th thinking back, like I remember at the time, like this was a big deal where a game that was set up as a trilogy from the beginning and all the marketing, like this is going to have sequels, no problem. You're all of a sudden giving me the option in one mission where I could take out not one but two of my squad mates one permanently by default like there's no way to get around it and that's kind of crazy to think about you know they pulled it off i think like it was probably a lot of work for them in the end with mass effect 3 where they did eventually come back around and had those uh, those two characters show up as squad mates but in mass effect 2 it was really just a cameo appearance but still like for them to commit to having two of these characters one of these two characters basically off the off the game it's kind of crazy to think about but uh they they pull it off i think in the long run but um i'm probably gonna end up finishing mass effect uh by next week uh, i do want to jump into mass effect 2 because i feel like i want to see that comparison because mm -hmm. a lot of people say like Mass Effect 2 is such a huge jump, and I remember it being a huge jump. Yeah, it's a big jump, yeah. 
And again, that's something I never really experienced because I hadn't played the first one. So I, I am looking forward to getting through one and then going into two because uh, apparently it is a huge, huge, huge difference between the two. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I uh, I'm even getting to the point where I'm like looking forward to interacting with specific characters into because they really increase the cast list and uh, increase the stakes as well with the whole suicide mission at the end and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, my main thing was I was trying not to do all the content in Mass Effect 1 because I knew I'd have to do it all in Mass Effect 2 and 3 because of the stakes. Um, so I guess I'm getting my money's worth with this game. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Seems like. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it um, to the point where our conversation last week kind of sent me in a weird direction where I, I uh, installed and played a little bit of Mass Effect Andromeda. So that but happened. Why? I I don't know. <laughs> I think I wanted to see what a next gen Mass Effect was supposed to look like, and I also remember mm. that game, in my mind, not being as bad as uh, a lot of people were sort of making it out to be. It had its issues. Don't get me wrong, um, but I was just trying to remember, like, what was it about it this that that threw people off? And I know, like, it had a rough launch uh, with with um, all the animation issues and stuff. I remember it having a tough launch and then didn't have a story that pulled me in the way that the previous story had. And they just they completely abandoned the Shepherd character. Right. And they and they took you to an entirely different place that didn't have anything to do with like the Reapers and stuff. And so everything that you knew about Mass Effect in the universe didn't really apply in Andromeda. And so it was hard to find a, a touchstone of something that I uh, recognized, I guess. And they had like a little bit kind of of a mystery because it was like, wasn't there like a ship that disappeared or something or? Yeah. I can't remember. I remember some sort of like ghost ship sort of deal. Yeah, the whole. So and here's the thing. Like I, I think with Andromeda, you're absolutely spot on where they drop the uh the milky way galaxy they they push you into andromeda and they really do focus on the fact that you are heading in a new galaxy for a very specific reason and they hint at it at the beginning but i really think they should have led with it where you know near the last third of the game it really is spelled out to you that no the reason you were leaving the milky way galaxy was because of the reapers the people who sent you to andromeda knew what was happening and they they wanted to uh, ensure that this galaxy's civilizations could live on in a, in a different uh in a different galaxy but they don't touch on that at the beginning so there isn't that sort of connection it's just sort of like same universe so you have like the same feel of guns the same feel of powers yeah this sort of structure of how um you know biotics but from a lore and- perspe- like story perspective i was like I'm clearly in the same universe and I'm playing the same sort of game because a lot of the mechanics are familiar, but none of the story was. So it kind of felt like they just had a space story that they wanted to tell and they slapped the Mass Effect logo on it to sell it. And I was like, uh, I'm not connecting with this content the way that I connected with other content. And like I said, glitchy launch didn't help them, Um, but it didn't it just didn't pull me in. And so I'm kind of wondering if I play through the Legendary Edition and then go back to Andromeda if I'll have the same reaction. Uh, I I think that um, I think if you if you go into Andromeda and and I played an evening of it and I'll be fully honest with you, 
Uh, the only reason I regretted my time with it was because I was like, wait a minute, what, what am I doing here? Um, I can come back to this for sure, no problem. But like, maybe finish at least Mass Effect 1 before I jump off and do something else. It was my classic, Ryan is trying to do too many things at once when he's got a couple yeah. hours a night. <laughs> To play video games so that was the only alarm bells that were going off but i would say this like i really did think if i'm going to play through mass effect one two and three what if i did like the you know machete order where i play one and two start andromeda then go back to three finish it mm. and then go back to andromeda because really the the entire the entire issue with andromeda is like you're right like they take the mass effect sort of universe they transplant it to andromeda but then you do start to see the cracks where not only the glitchy launch, but there was the issue with you're in this whole new galaxy, but there are only two new alien races, right? You have the cat and you have the, I, I have, I didn't come across the other one, but there is one other uh, alien race that you come across and, you know, and then even, you know, the, the, the people you're bringing from the mass effect or the uh, Milky way galaxy, they leave, half of them on an arc that never gets found so there are arcs that come with you and they are sort of slowly popping up like the solarians the turians they're slowly popping up as the game right. progresses wasn't one of the didn't one of the arcs like disappear wasn't it the turian arc or something disappeared well they all so they all sort of disappear but the one that never shows up is the corian arc which has uh the Corian, other, that's it okay yeah. yeah the other alien races on it which are the the hanar and the I, 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 there's a bunch of them but they were sort of like the reason they were delayed was because they had some issues trying to accommodate all the different sort of environments that they needed to sort of emulate for the for to ensure the all the aliens the trip, could survive yeah. and uh but they kind of like hand wave it away it never gets addressed they drop a huge tease at the end of the game and 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 obviously we didn't get any follow-up or any dlc but from what Andromeda is and where it's at now, where they spent a year fixing all the glitches, like my experience with it, first couple hours of gameplay, a lot of like the core animation issues have been addressed. And there was a lot of them early on in the game. That was a big red flag as well. It's like, why front load? Why would your game be front loaded with these issues? Like, you know, um, but that's been fixed. It still remains to be, in my opinion, like the best combat that we've ever had in a Mass Effect game. It bu it builds heavily on Mass Effect 3. Um, but, you know, you've got like a lot of these characters that you see sort of popping up. And, and immediately that comes to your mind are, are these other characters from the Mass Effect Legendary Edition of like, oh, well, this is the Asari, but she's no Liara, right? This is the yeah. soldier, but it's no Caden slash Ashley or whatever. So that's another issue where you don't have these characters that stand alone. They kind of get compared to what you what To their you counterparts from the trilogy that you loved. Yeah, that they, they built up over how many years? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the core issue. But I think uh, I wish Andromeda had had uh, had gotten some more love from Bioware past or EA for that matter past, you know, just the bug fix, uh, the bug fixes they did. But the game is uh, is certainly worth revisiting, especially if you have a Game Pass subscription. If you hadn't played it, um, there's there's stuff to love there. But again, like if you are really enjoying your return to the Mass Effect franchise and you've played through the Legendary Edition or you're working your way through it and you want more, Andromeda is there for you. It looks great. Uh, 
I'm tr- I'm I'm thinking I might wait to play it on Series X, like because um, the Series X has like this like FPS boost feature that has to be specifically added for specific games. So I'm hoping because Legendary Edition out, is out, they might go back to Andromeda and and do that quick fix because they're they've been doing a, a lot of EA games to kind of give it um, that 60 frames per second sort of polish that was never there on the mm-hmm. console versions. So uh, that may happen as well, which would certainly convince me to go back but even at 30 frames it's it's a solid solid experience so um yeah i don't know if i'm gonna like really go back to it because i i did pull myself back from the break and have gone back to the legendary edition so don't expect an andromeda update every week i just (laughs) wanted to try it i feel like i just i get the feeling that in a few months once i've actually worked my way through the full trilogy i'm going to much like when Andromeda first launched, I'm going to want more Mass Effect content, and it's going to suck me in. I know it. I know it. It's, it's worth <laughs> giving it a shot. I well, think it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. That's, that's for, like, November <laughs> Jocelyn to worry about. <laughs> She'll deal with it then. Um, if you guys like the content we support, we... <laughs> if you guys like the content we produce and you'd like to support the show... Please do go on over to patreon.com slash the gamers and we are looking for our next featured patron. So if you want me to be saying your name right now, the thing you need to do is go to patreon.com slash the gamers in. That brings us to the news portion of the show. And we have a lot of little things for you tonight. A lot of uh, trailers, teasers, interesting stuff. We're getting into that season of the year where we start to get all of the hints and we start to get more information. We start to get gameplay, all that kind of stuff for things that are coming later on. So we got a a teaser trailer for the Dark Pictures Anthology House of Ashes, which is the next installment in that, I guess, anthology. I was going to say trilogy, and I was like, technically it's the third game, but I don't think it's the last game. So we'll see how this plays out. But um, I was not looking forward to this one specifically. Just because um, it looked too, like, army, like, techie kind of stuff. And even all the way through the trailer, I was getting those same kind of vibes. And I'm like, man, I like horror. I don't like, you know, like, sci-fi. I don't know. Oh, man. I maybe I'm, And I know we just finished talking about, like, literally Horizon Zero Dawn and Mass Effect, which are two of my favorite titles of all time. But it doesn't matter. Uh, in general, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan. I definitely prefer horror and fantasy and mixtures of the two of those. So throughout this whole trailer, I was just getting so many sci-fi vibes. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe they're trying to branch out. I don't know. We'll see. And then that claw hand thing. And I was like, oh, that's not synthetic. Here we go. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, it looks, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned like a sci-fi angle because it kind of looks a little bit like there's an alien, like I got a lot of alien vibes from this. Um, I was going to say Predator, Predator. <laughs> yeah, Predator uh, works as well. Predator, yeah, Predator makes a lot more sense. Um it felt like they were they were in danger uh, with what was going on as and and yeah, Predator is a great example. So yeah, it feels like they're stepping away from the traditional horror element of like a monster or a haunting or something like that. But um, thinking back to the other dark picture anthology games, there's always this like angle of like here's what we're presenting, but there's this side of it where it's not really supernatural or there's a there's a reason for everything and i wonder if they'll continue this angle and 
and or are they going to like pivot because now we're expecting it because i didn't expect it with mm-hmm. the second game and then when they delivered on some sort of oh what a twist i wonder if this one's like nah it was actually aliens all along and you got that guy with the weird yeah. hair doc gif making a aliens <laughs> you know um but yeah it's uh i'm excited by it uh we're gonna get the first gameplay reveal later this week there's a lot you mentioned there's a lot of video game news happening this week and next i think we're we're back into that e3 vibe where yeah it's like the e3 timing everyone's like well there's like kind of everything's virtual we're just gonna do our own thing and like boom dropping a teaser boom dropping some gameplay like whenever we want because screw you e3 (laughs) (laughs) yeah we didn't have it in the notes but there's like a sonic direct happening uh on thursday at lunch i'm gonna watch it with the kids because i said there's a sonic direct happening thursday at lunch you want to watch it while we have lunch and they're like yeah that's super cool and and i know you're excited because they're probably going to talk about the sonic 2 movie i know the kids are super stoked for that um but uh yeah sonic we i didn't even put in the notes but we're talking about it that's all we're going to (laughs) say because it's sonic but um i'm excited uh i really liked our time with the dark pictures games I think they're really fun. I know that a lot of people like I mean, they're definitely not triple A titles. They're that that single A or B or whatever, however you want to. They're double A batteries is what them, it is. But yeah, double <laughs> A, sure, whatever. I don't know, some amount of letters, but um, they're just they're just fun. And I feel like if you can look past the fact, which I feel like a lot of people have not been able to apply context to games lately and they expect everything to be up to like 2021 AAA standards no matter who is putting it out or what the content is or whatever they're very much just like if this isn't perfection it's terrible it's like no it's not that binary what are you doing so I think that uh, the Dark Pictures Anthology in general gets a bad rap but I think that they told interesting and compelling stories. They had some serious scares and some like just total mindfuck moments that you were like, what even is happening right now in both of them? And in the end, they had really interesting conclusions to those stories, I thought. So, I mean, yeah, I I would like to know, though, or like I'm looking forward to either whether I actually play this one or not. I'll probably buy it just because I continue to support this franchise because I think what they're doing is very interesting. I love the idea of this like character and I can't remember his name. He's not the observer because that's the guy from Dead by Daylight. Um, oh, what? Not the, the archivist. The curator. Yeah, that's it. Like, I love that he's kind of the the single thread that holds them all together, even though the stories within each game are self-contained. And I kind of want to know if they're going to delve into him much more or what that deal is. I don't know. I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on in these games. And I want to support the developers so that they keep coming. But I don't know. I might wait for like, I'll probably buy the game and then wait for some reviews and stuff to see if I should bother playing it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I as if it's a sci fi thing, I'm going to be like, meh. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's fine. computer robot oh no look at its claws oh it's so scary hey man don't uh don't don't get the computers on our bad side we don't there's a lot more (laughs) that's true google stop listening yeah exactly (laughs) uh but i think that uh these games it's always been about the journey uh and the fun you have along the way uh as opposed to like um, (laughs) would we call that fun (laughs) 
<laughs> we would call that fun. My my broken controller <laughs> oh, would gosh, call that yeah. fun. <laughs> I had a good time, and I think we we raised a lot of money for charity while playing. So maybe uh, this time around, um, I don't know when this thing's coming out, but it's supposed to be out this year. So maybe this becomes our yearly co-op playthrough for Extra mm. Life. So I'm. I'm yeah, we didn't that. get an actual like date date. It just said uh, 2021. So uh, we'll have to see. And uh, speaking of release dates, I mean, I know it's the last thing on the list, but I'm going to pull it up to the top and talk about it now. Uh, we're getting a state of play about Horizon Forbidden West, and I'm so excited that's happening this Thursday. And yeah, oh my God, we're going to get gameplay and I'm hoping a release date and and also a, a console collector's edition. <laughs> I, I just I want everything. I want everything. Just give it to me, Forbidden West, please. <laughs> I I could see this being a confirmation of a launch window. Um, we got to remember that the next big game from Sony is Ratchet and Clank. It's coming out in a week or two. Uh, so uh, no, the next big game from Sony is Horizon Forbidden West because there is no other game other than this game. <laughs> Look, Ryan, <laughs> I'm, I'm making a point that benefits you here. Is what I'm saying is like with Ratchet and Clank on the horizon, it's it's very clear <laughs> that we are going to be getting a release date for Horizon at some point. This is we're at the stage where it's you you got to announce it because it's the next it's the next big game after Ratchet and Clank in terms of the release calendar. So. I could see us getting a release date. I I don't anticipate it being... I'm hoping it's late 2021. And I know people were joking in Discord. I really, really, really don't want to have... We talk about reliving moments of TGI history and or, you know history repeating <laughs> itself. I don't want to do another Breath of the Wild versus... I want to enjoy both games separately. What, let's not do a battle here like those were some those were some stressful months man like i i really want to enjoy horizon separate from breath of the wild uh too so don't do this to me sony slash nintendo if if they're both holding back just to see who pulls the punches first like it's it's not needed so i i want to play horizon i mean it's likely we'll play horizon before we play zelda but honestly with horizon getting a state of play this week Speaking of Thursday, Thursday's got a lot going on. Um, yep. And then Nintendo having being a part of E3 and possibly having a Nintendo Direct during its normal E3 timing. If we get release date announcements for both these games and they're both around the same time, ah, oh man, it's going to be... Do you think our, our friendship is going to survive? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Before you said it would be fine, you, was like, you, just, you were like, no. <laughs> And then you're like, it'll be fine. Look, it's like, wow, just just flat out, no, our friendship's not going to survive, eh? Okay, well, at least will. we're clear. It's been a nice run. Let's go. Look, <laughs> I guess let's... we've got about six months of episodes of Gamers In left. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest here. When it came to uh, Breath of the Wild, I think I was just so distracted by Breath of the Wild. I never played Horizon until I had finished Breath of the Wild. And I, I loved both games. But So that's, my, that's where my, I'm coming from is like, I know I'm going to love Horizon 2. I'm going to love Breath of the Wild 2. I just want to be able to enjoy them separately. And yes, our friendship yeah, will last. Yeah, just don't, don't make us... <laughs> Don't make us choose. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Thursday. So Thursday, June 10th, starting at 2 p.m. Easter, Easter, Eastern, we're getting a summer games, summer game fest uh, hosted by uh, Jeff Keeley. And so, Ryan, tell me a little bit about this because uh, I... To be honest, I am not a huge fan of just all of the big um, 
like E3s and the game awards and all like the stuff that just feels like a giant advertisement. <laughs> like is is that what summer summer game fest is going to be or is there more to it? Well, Summer Game Fest last year was sort of just a it was a big fancy calendar website. So basically what Jeff Keeley was doing there wasn't too much to it, really. Like, there wasn't, like, a live aspect, really. Uh, no. He I mean, he had um, he had these moments where he'd do... they do a reveal, and then he'd have, like, a question and answer with the developers afterwards. There was some of that. But really what they are doing this year is they are doing a live show that is going to have, like, announcements similar to what you, you'd see at E3, where there's... A bunch of showcases of, of games and announcements and stuff and um they did announce that summer games fest is going to be kicking off with a live show on as you said thursday june 10th which is the regular sort of slot for the early slot for e3 usually it would start the thursday before and then the show wouldn't start proper till like the monday through wednesday the next week so this timing kind of works because it is i think right before e3 um but yeah, like the the trailer kind of shows off some big titles. You've got uh, Halo, you've got Genshin Impact. Um, uh, there's a you know Apex. I don't anticipate you know Summer Games Fest, like because E3 is happening and a lot of mm-hmm. big developers are showcasing at E3. So I don't see this being like a big huge event. It'll probably be it'll have some smaller announcements, but also probably some big ones. But E3 is still probably going to have. You have a lot of companies doing their own thing. You know, Sony's doing their own thing. Uh, Nintendo has always done their own thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, when you said Nintendo was involved with E3, I was like, oh, they're back? What? Well, they they <laughs> always are part of E3, but really, like, Nintendo's still going to do the Nintendo Direct. Um, yeah, they've got their own little, like, well, they didn't, they weren't even there. Uh, like, obviously not last year, nobody was there, but... Um, the couple of years before weren't, didn't they just do their Nintendo direct and like, they weren't even, um, at like on the floor at the conference. Yeah. I, I know they've always had a big presence at the conference. Um, they always have a big booth. They, they very much make it like interactive as to their big sort of an, you know, game release. I, I think the last one would have been, um, well, they had a big one for Breath of the Wild. They did one for Animal Crossing. I think that might have been the last year of E3 that they had where they did Animal Crossing. Um, they did Luigi's Mansion one year, I think. Uh, but yeah, Nintendo's, um, it's the press conference. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, well, PlayStation. Oh, maybe. maybe. Oh, the big, the, uh, oh, PlayStation. Okay. I was like, I'm pretty sure somebody didn't go. It was a big deal. Am I going crazy? <laughs> yeah. And PlayStation's not participating this year either. Like they, their name is not on the E3, uh, docket, but they are part of Summer Games Fest. And I think this is the, this is the critical thing about Summer Games Fest. It is still like a fancy, you know, Google calendar website. However, they are, you know, Jeff Keighley is, is pulling his industry weight to try to get some more announcements under his banner. And I think this is this kickoff show is really a showcase of that. And you'll see I think you'll see some big announcements here, but you're already seeing sort of a return to normal in terms of maybe not the whole, you know, the whole E3, you know, trade show coming back this year. But you're seeing that announcement cycle sort of return to early June, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting because I think that's what was missing last year was sort of this big burst of announcements. You're still going to see some sort of announcements spread out over the summer. Like we've got a lot of announcements for 
EA has an event in July, and so does Ubisoft. So there's still like some healthy spread going on, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's still going to be exciting to see a big burst of, of of news early June. Get back to that E3 feel. Yeah, it feels like it's been a long time, <laughs> which is crazy because it was one year, but it feels like it's been just it was a long year, eighty three years. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was a very long year. So I've purposely left this last piece of news to the end uh, because it's a game I talk about all the time. So in case you guys are just like, uh, I don't want to hear any more about Dead by Daylight, Jocelyn, come on. Um, you can turn off the podcast now. Thanks for staying at the gamers and tune in, tune in next week. Uh, if you do want to hear about the Dead by Daylight Resident Evil crossover and the fifth anniversary stream that was today, then you could stick around. <laughs> but um, Dead by Daylight just announced. So we had the tease of Dead by Daylight doing some sort of crossover for their next chapter, which is basically their name for, for their major patches when they usually put a killer and a survivor and a map into the game. Um, so we had a tease during the 25th anniversary for Resident Evil stream that happened a few weeks ago now, and that stream basically just showed the Umbrella logo on a charm, which you can get in Dead by Daylight, and then the killers can hang them from hooks and survivors can hang them from their from their waist. Um, and it's just like, they're just these basically little pieces of flair of cosmetics that you can add to make your character a little bit more you. And uh, so we had an umbrella charm falling to like a muddy forest floor and then it kind of panned up to this hook and everyone was like, oh my God, that's dead by daylight. But we had no idea what the crossover was going to look like, just that dead by daylight and Resident Evil were putting out a chapter together. So in the fifth anniversary stream, which was today, we got a full reveal trailer for the Resident Evil chapter, showing us who our survivors, plural, and our killer is going to be, as well as the new map, which Ryan, I know you played through the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remasters, correct? Yeah, yeah, those those remakes were fantastic. So it's really interesting to see them pull from those in terms of like classic yet new Resident Evil feel. So it's a good call, I think. Yeah, so it is uh, Leon, who I think is from Resident Evil 3. Uh, 2, so yeah, you have Leon two. from 2. Oh, he's from 2, and then Jill is from 3. Exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, and, uh, and then... it's a really good, it's a really good pull. Like, I think if you're going to pull two characters, those are the most popular from those two games. I mean, Claire Redfield's still a big character, but Leon was um, kind of push forward i think mostly due to resident evil 4 i think he sort of uh retroactively got more of the spotlight because of resident evil 4 but uh okay. jill being the main character from 3 that makes total sense and i and i think her redesign um for for the remake really translates well uh for uh for this game too like they look fantastic the character models that we saw in the trailer yeah, I thought even like from from Dead by Daylight standards, I thought they looked great. And the character model of the killer, who is Nemesis, who is from Resident Evil Two, is that right? Or am, am I again three. mixing up my twos and threes? Damn it's it. okay because here's the thing: <laughs> I didn't play them, <laughs> uh, and and you know I I just played them, and I think Nemesis, uh, 
you you could have seen you could you people could have said like oh maybe they'll put Mr. X in but Mr. X really is Nemesis put into the into the RE2 remake I I'm, I'm pretty sure he wasn't even in the original RE2 so Nemesis is the original big you know giant monster thing sort of stalking you so it makes sense they chose him um and I always just remember him just you know creepily yelling stars and uh, he is in the second movie though so maybe that's where <laughs> mr x's or nemesis no nemesis i was gonna say maybe that's where he got confused mm. it's like he's in the second movie so uh and he's terrible that movie's terrible don't go watch it it's really bad <laughs> um but that that is to say i i think it makes sense they made all the right choices in terms of which characters they were going to put in here um you know in hindsight i think when we originally talked about this we thought oh what if they put you know tall vampire lady in here lady d yeah and then it turns out that lady d like yeah i don't know if this is a spoiler at this point but lady d is like not a big part of resident evil village like she's kind of in and out yeah in the first couple hours um which kind of in hindsight explains why the developers were so surprised that people were latching onto her <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. like yeah maybe we should have uh kept her around in the game because everyone yeah rethought our boss order a little bit maybe uh but yeah so that's uh you know it's really interesting because um yeah we there was a lot of speculation because they had used her so much in the marketing of village that she would be the logical choice from a marketing perspective like she is the new hotness right now everybody was talking about her on the on the release of village basically until they played to the point where they finished the game and we're like wait where is she? <laughs> like, why isn't she coming back? <laughs> and uh, so I think that um, from a an overall franchise view, I think this is probably um, the better way to go. And I mean, the remakes just came out like they're not that old at this point, right? They're they're still kind of only a couple of years old at this point. And, you know, they were like you said, they, they did a really good job and they were a lot of fun. So I think that it makes uh, makes sense for them to stick to two and three. And the killer is the in-game model is so big. He's like taller than the hooks. And instead of carrying the survivors on his shoulder, he carries them like under his arm. We don't have any other killers in the game that do that. So he's got like his total own animations. That's pretty crazy that he's the biggest. Yeah. I, I'm surprised it took this long <laughs> for that to happen. Um, well, and I mean, there's already some like larger killers like Leatherface is quite um, like imposing. So is uh, like Trapper. They're they're pretty tall. Uh, uh, Plague is also very tall, though she's also quite thin. But um, there like there are some larger characters, but none kind of on that scale he doesn't even like because most of them like hoist you kind of up and onto the hook and he like takes you with his one hand and just kind of like tosses you forward like you're nothing like it's really really cool and it kind of like portrays the the size imbalance between like the people and the monster so i think it's going to be really cool he's also got a lot of really interesting mechanics that kind of play off some stuff that's very similar to what's already in the game but at the same time brings entirely new mechanics to the game so he um basically they're <laughs> there's zombies in dead by daylight now and they are run by ai and they only show up on the map when he's the killer 
So basically, he can see the zombies like through walls and everything else. They're they're kind of like he can see like a white aura walking through the building and they will chase survivors. So it's kind of like a built in survivor tracking perk. Like if a zombie finds you, they'll like chase after you and then he can be like, oh, hang on a second. That zombie's clearly chasing someone. There's a survivor over there. And, you know, like he doesn't have to use uh, like a perk slot for for some of that. And the zombies can you can kill the zombies by dropping the pallets. But then that means that the pallet isn't available when the actual killer comes after you. And zombies can either infect you with the T virus or if you're already infected, then they will do damage to you. So they will knock you from either healthy to injured or injured to dying, depending on what your current state is. So yeah, it's very uh, interesting and thematic, I think. He very much feels like something they haven't necessarily done before. And he looks really cool. And then on top of that, so two survivors, six perks, one killer with three killer perks. And then we also get a new map, which we haven't gotten a new map in quite a long time. I feel like it's been nine months, if not a year since we've actually had a new map added to the game because they've been doing visual updates of all of the original maps. And so like they've basically been, you know, giving them new textures, like changing the locations of objects, just really like updating old maps to the current standard of DVD. Because again, this is the fifth anniversary. It's a five year old game at this point. So they're updating a whole lot of stuff. And they did that with the uh, next gen consoles in mind sort of deal. So They've been they did a lot of work in the past year to update all of those textures and maps and things like that, as well as uh, although it was unsuccessful in the community, myself included, hated it. But they updated the UI. They brought everything over to the Unreal Engine. So they even like updated what the game was built on. Like they, they made so, so many like background changes to make it not play and feel like a five year old game. So uh, this is the first map we've actually had in quite a long time. And Ryan, it looks amazing. <laughs> like, I haven't even played Resident Evil, but is it Resident Evil 2 that's set in the police station? Yeah, Resident Evil 2 has the uh, Raccoon Police Department uh, police station. So I, I did see that sort of it's teased in the in the trailer. And I just got to say, like, Nemesis, uh, whoever it was not, it was not the Resident Evil characters that Nemesis was taking on, but uh, throwing her against a car like that, I'm surprised she was that able was to get Meg. out. That was Meg. That was that was the. She is one of the original four survivors from Dead by Daylight. Okay, yeah, she looked like she should not have got up from that, but uh, I will say yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, have you seen the size of the hooks? There's a lot of things that the entity lets them walk away from that they probably shouldn't. <laughs> very true. Very true. And then you know we just rub each other's backs for about eight seconds, and then we're all healed up, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like you never took that six-inch steak to the heart. <laughs> that is a very good point. Okay, so realism aside. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited that they're, they're doing, they're basically giving us everything that they would, they, or they could give in a content drop for, for a new piece of, uh, DLC or adaptation. So the fact that we're getting a map that is, that is impressing, you know, uh, dead by daylight, uh, veterans, you've got a killer, you've got two survivors. It's going to be a premium piece of DLC, but I'm probably gonna buy this one like i always put it on my wish list i'm like oh i'll mm -hmm. buy it like before we do a big stream <laughs> or something and i never end up doing it but like i'm 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 probably never gonna play as the killer but 
to be able to play as Leon or or uh, Jill, like that sounds fantastic. And I do want to try that new map. So, um, well, the new map is apparently a like true to game and layout version of Resident Evil 2. So if you've played Resident Evil 2, the remake, uh, you can like walk the like story of that game in Dead by Daylight. It's like the whole game recreated in that police station. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're in. <laughs> so I guess I didn't really see the map because. Uh, it yeah, was, they did. Like, so it was a whole anniversary stream today. It was probably about an hour and a half long. And they had like um, not a full like walkthrough, but kind of like a, a fly through almost of like a lot of the different rooms and stuff. And I mean, the fly through had to be 10 minutes long. Like literally the whole chat room is like, how big is this map? <laughs> like it must be insane. But there's like, I mean, there's like a library with multiple levels in it. And then there's like the main hall with a big statue. And then there's a, a, a flooded bathroom and a, um, a whole bunch of like offices and stuff. And then there were, I think I saw like an interrogation room and like uh, there was a room that looked almost like maybe a break room or something with like a banner that said like welcome Leon or something. It was all messed up. Oh, no. <laughs> like it was it was detailed. It was detailed. <laughs> so uh yeah, I think they've done a really good job. And it's interesting that you said that you would be really interesting and interested in purchasing this specific DLC. Now you don't need to purchase the DLC to have access to the map just the killer and survivor. So the map gets added to the game regardless. There's no kind of like gating people behind DLC to to do the map. The map's just always there. And it has a higher rate of spawn than all the other ones for a, a couple of weeks after launch. But um, they're also, as part of like all of the revamping of the game that they've been doing, they have also revamped the tutorial so new players, when they come into the game, because they're expecting much like we had with uh, Stranger Things, a lot of people who've maybe never tried Dead by Daylight, but are interested in the franchise that's coming in the chapter. Uh, Silent Hill was another big boost of uh, players. They're expecting a lot of new players to come in with Resident Evil. So they've totally revamped the tutorial, including a match with AI, which is also part of the zombies that they developed for the Resident Evil Killer. They've made a whole bunch of like AI characters that you can play against or with in order to learn how to play the game. Because before it was like just these couple of like, uh, uh, like a killer on rails. And it's like, here's how you learn to play Survivor. Touch a generator, pull an exit gate. Like it was... Dead by Daylight is a much more complicated game than it was when the when the tutorial was made like way back in beta. So they finally updated that. And now you can actually play matches against AI, which is pretty crazy. Hmm. Wow, that's really cool that they've because uh, that's always the biggest problem with these live service games is that they always leave. They always tend to move away from their new player base, right? Like they stop trying. They stop. It's not that they stop trying to attract new players, but the game just gets so bloated that they sometimes forget. It's like, oh man, we should probably update our tutorials and update our sort of our yeah the barrier to entry as as these um, as these games get bigger and bigger and as they've been out for longer and longer. There's like a balance between 
keeping people happy who've been playing since the beginning and bringing them new content and stuff while also maintaining what you've got and making sure that it's not too difficult for a new player to get into. And I think Dead by Daylight has struggled with that a lot, particularly since they've ramped up their new content like they spent I think they're still they're still going to release uh, four new killers and five new survivors this this year. So the first one being launching on June 14th, which is the Resident Evil chapter. That's where the two survivors come from. But there's still going to be three more chapters this year, which means they're going to be doing a new chapter every three months. And they're going to be giving us a new survivor and a new killer every time. That's a lot of content. That's a lot of perks. So I think um, it sounds like they're very much taking new players into consideration, which makes me feel really good because as somebody who's been playing since the third anniversary, so this is like my second year of playing Dead by Daylight very regularly, um, I'm still not caught up. I still don't have all my characters at level 50. Like the amount of uh, XP that you need to level up characters and not even just like level them up, but then also level all their perks up to because every perk has three levels. So you have to go through a whole blood web to get all of those perks and stuff. And it just takes so much XP. It's called blood points and dead by daylight, but it takes so much that you never really, um, you never really catch up. So um, I think that I'm glad that they're looking at that new player experience because I think a lot of the changes that they're talking about making are also going to benefit me, even though I'm not necessarily a new, new player. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it was a really cool announcement. It was a really cool anniversary stream. Um, I, they're so dorky and I just love them so much. Their, their dev team, like they, they started off as such a small team and they've gotten a lot bigger now, but they're still like an indie-ish company (laughs) and, uh, they just love the game so much. And it's so fun to see them just talk about their plans and, and what they really enjoy about Dead by Daylight and how much they love the universe. So, uh, it was a really fun stream. If you guys missed it, it was over on Twitch, uh, or you can check out the reveal trailer that's over on YouTube, or you can also watch it on Twitch at the same time. But um, yeah, go and check them out. Dead by Daylight, super fun. Like I said, Resident Evil chapter is coming out on June 14th, and uh, I believe the anniversary event runs from July 1st until July 15th, but they've got a whole bunch of community things happening as well, so you can go follow Dead by Daylight over on Twitter if you are interested in participating. They're doing a lot of community things, like um, apparently during the first anniversary, they did like, hey, if the community repairs one million generators, everybody gets this thing. They're doing a lot more of that this year, so um, yeah, go and check it out. Uh, I think that's pretty much going to do it for us tonight. I feel like we've <laughs> definitely gone a little bit over time, but uh, I, I had fun. I thought it was a good show. Yeah, no, it was a great show, except for that like really you know awkward moment where uh, Breath of the Wild Horizon made us question our continued friendship. Our friendship. But I think, I think <laughs> yeah. we did. Um, uh, we 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 solved that issue. Uh, just I so hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be fine. Um, I bought yeah, an we'll Amiibo. It allows us to continue being friends. Um, by, you just have to scan it once a day. <laughs> yeah, we just got to make sure that uh, you know it is funny. Skyward Sword is another one of those Zelda games where uh, we we struggle with that one. So hopefully this thirty dollar amiibo will allow us to play that game and not hate uh, it so much. But um, I still think it makes more tutorials pop up. So there is that trade off. So 
Great, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you'd like to continue the Amiibo conversation with us over in Discord, go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com or follow us over on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn. I'm at Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs>